Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim. I have been involved with the Calgary First Church of the Nazarene since my children were babies. I started out as a nursery helper and have kind of grown up with them in this church. I've sponsored in with youth. I've volunteered in many different ministries that our church has helped out with. I've sat on the board of the church, and I've also been a delegate to many of the district assemblies for our church. Perhaps my favorite ministry that I've been involved with since coming to this church is the work and witness trips. It is on one of these work and witness trips that I received my call into evangelism. I was in October of 2017, I was on a work and witness trip to Mescala, Mexico, and I received my call into evangelism at that time. In April of 2020 of this year, I received my district license, and I'm now districtly licensed in West Canada, West District of the Nazarene Church. Before we begin, I would like to take a moment to put ourselves in the presence of God. Just take a minute, relax, and soak your mind. Open your ears and let God descend upon you. Father God, I pray that you will use me as a tool, an instrument to pass on your message through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will open the souls, the minds, the ears of everyone that is listening. Open our souls to the work of the Holy Spirit. Open our minds to what you want us to remember. Open our ears to what you want us to hear. For, Lord, I speak not in the words given to me by human wisdom, but by the words that are laid upon my heart by the work of your Spirit. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning that you have blessed us with. Thank you for allowing us to be here, even though we are separated. And thank you, Father, for just sending your Spirit here to be with us in these troubled times. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have been learning about different Bible characters and their walks with God. Today, I would like to talk to you about one of my favorites, Isaiah. Where do I begin with Isaiah? Isaiah's ministry was timely and far-reaching in his influence. Some Bible scholars, scholars and theologians believe that he is by far the greatest and probably the most respected of all prophets. And we have evidence of this because Christ quoted him over and over again on his walk on the earth when he was here. Isaiah's ministry was very simple. It was a fire and brimstone, repent and be baptized type of preacher. A revivalist and an evangelist who knew what he believed and stood up to those who opposed it. No one really listened to him, though. They were living in a world that was very similar to ours, a world full of fake news, myths, superstitions, civil unrest. They were under constant threat and of war and invasions. They had became a military state that was divided into multiple classes, rich, poor, middle, power, influential, and so forth consisted of a corrupt government that did not really care about their suffering, their drunkenness, their increasing poverty, their sorrow, and the distress of all of their citizens. Israel's morals and ethics were low. Their religious leaders and prophets were well paid, 
and their messages lacked anything of integrity or truth. Their integrity was something that could be bought and persuaded through bribes. Psychics, soothsayers, and diviners were on the rise. Their beliefs were in false gods, gods of the land, gods of the sea, gods of the air, gods of the earth, gods of pretty much everything. And to cement these beliefs, they created altars and created rituals to worship them. Israel had become a very prosperous, strong, and multicultural world that was torn apart and infiltrated with multiple religions and lifestyles. Baalism was on the rise. The superstition customs of the Middle East was on the rise. The gruesome and perverse worship of Moloch, the god of sadistic hedonism, was on the rise. Life was becoming complacent and filled with self-indulgence. Religion had become a formal affair and devoid of the true understanding of God and his demands. It had become ritualistic and full of soulless worship. Temples had become massive buildings of pride and success, which in turn their revenues were on, their high, uh, were on the rise, but it was filled with fake messiahs and saviors. Does this sound familiar to us? Are we not living in a world similar to this? Isaiah disliked the mechanism of ritual and unauthenticity. In fact, he did not just dislike it, he hated it and despised it royally. He thought, despised so much that he thought it was stupid. In chapter 11 of what my children read this morning for you, Isaiah has made a bold statement and that threatened the kingdom, and that didn't make them feel safe or, or didn't make them feel safe. They felt threatened. Yet at the same time, they believed him and knew what Isaiah was saying was true. He was highly respected, but despite all this, he was despised at the same time. Why did this passage make everyone so mad? Well, let's set the picture. Isaiah is looking around at the world, a world that is ugly and dead, a world that has been cut down and destroyed, a world that is filled with rot and decay. But he does not focus on, on this. Instead, he sees a new sapling coming out of this death, decay, and rot. When I think of this picture, I think of an old children's movie that I watched with my children once in a while. In this movie, there's a bat and all his companions who live in this forest that is just full of rot, decay, and just disgusting. But on the other side of the forest, is a, uh, there's a fairy and all her components that live in there. And their forest is beautiful and vibrant in color and alive. But throughout this movie, this rot and decay slowly starts to take over this forest. And as this rot and decay starts to take over this forest, the fairy queen has this idea that she needs to take a certain seed and plant it. And under this new moon, it'll rise. And when it, brings, when it blooms, it'll wipe away all the rot, the decay, and destruction. You know, and this is what Isaiah is trying to tell the people of Israel, that this new seedling is going to destroy or take over the world and make it right again. But, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I think of the final scene in that movie where that seed begins to bloom, and as it blooms, it becomes this big white flower, and the forest begins to rejuvenate. This is what Isaiah is trying to tell his people. 
He's trying to say that out of this seed, the world's going to be renewed and restored. But he doesn't just stop there. He now has kicked it up a notch by saying that this seed is going to be the Messiah, the Messiah that everybody knew, a Messiah that he had talked about right from the beginning of his ministry, a Messiah that was known as the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But now he was saying that this Messiah was not just going to be a Messiah, he was going to be a king. But he wasn't just going to be a normal king, he was going to be a king that arised out of the line of David. Isaiah has now taken this Messiah and has mortalized him and made him human. Everyone in the 7th century before Christ believed in this Messiah, but it was more of a superstitious, more of a pipe dream. But Isaiah has now mortalized him. Isaiah has now made him real. Isaiah did not just stop there. He continues to tell these people that this Messiah, this king, when he comes, will, not, will destroy this world and make it just. And he's going to rule with a just, holy peace and love and gentleness. A world that they had no idea what can even consisted. He will restore this earth back to what it was created for in the beginning of the garden. A place where peace reigns and children can play with wild animals and, and not fear. Venomous snakes and dangerous animals will be like pets. This is exciting except for the aspects of the snakes. I'm not a fan of snakes, let alone wanting one as a, as a pet. Isaiah goes on and then tells the listeners that after he has restored the earth at his rightful beginning, it will become a new and that it will stand above the rest and be like a light, an eternal resting place to those who all believe. This is the heart of Isaiah's ministry and mission. One that he believed and would not stray from no matter what was on the line. As Christians today, we need to have this same conviction and this same belief. Yes, Isaiah had a defining and dramatic call that I believe we all as Christians are envious of, why can't a seraphim fly down from heaven and touch my mouth with a hot coal? Why can't I have the confidence to stand up to God and say, here I am, God, send me? Maybe it was because of this call that Isaiah was not afraid of who he made angry and who he might offend. God called him to preach the gospel and tell the people of Israel that they need to change their ways. He was not afraid to call the people out. It did not matter who they were. He was not afraid to stand up for what he believed. He kept his faith and believed to his premature death at the hands of King Manasseh. And when I think of, when I was reading about Isaiah's death, I was reminded of an old movie uh, called Braveheart. And in this movie, William Wallace is about to be executed for his beliefs. And as he is being executed in one of the most inhumane possible ways, he yells at the top of his lung as, his, as they get ripped out of his chest, Freedom! This was Isaiah. I believe when Isaiah was about to be executed, he stood up there and yelled at the top of his lung, Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of God is near. He was the type of minister that didn't have any fear. And he was called to this ministry knowing that many people would not listen. Knowing that only a handful would ever be saved. And that fewer still would be filled with the Holy Spirit and give God complete control. He did not care. He was a man of faith and had this optimistic view of the ultimate outcome of God's cause. 
He preached with a fire and a passion that centuries later, we ought to do the same with this same passion and this same fire. Isaiah's eyes were focused on God's future, not his. God's future is a future where all people can live in harmony, peace, justice, and righteousness. But this is not possible if we do not believe that we are called to be examples of Christ. As Christians, we should want to live our lives in such a way that whoever we come in contact with on a daily basis knows that we are part of God's kingdom. Isaiah lived his life since the time he was a young man to his death, preaching, predicting, writing, and rebuking kings, priests, and all who defied God. He hated the social injustice, and he preached against it quite regularly. He stood up for the poor, the unjust, the widows, and all who, affected the, all who were affected by the social injustice of his time. We are called to be examples of God and to depopulate hell, as Mark Bain would say. Matthew West wrote a song that I think really resounds with this message. In this song, Matthew comes out of his apartment, walks down on the street, and he looks around at this world. He sees the, the poor, he sees the hungry. And he yells up to God, God, why don't you do something? And then he hears God say, I did. I created you. I did. I created you. Isn't that amazing? God created you to be an example of him. This is Isaiah's message, and this should be our message too. Stand up for your beliefs, and do not be afraid of who might see you. You know, Isaiah was a spiritual giant in his time. And when I think of spiritual giants, I think of Billy Graham, who on September, 1st, or September 11, 2001, when our world forever changed, the president of the United States of America flew to North Carolina to bring him back to Washington so that he could lead the country in a sermon of faith, hope, and love, and lead them in prayer. This is what a spiritual giant is. This is what God calls us to do. My challenge to myself and to you all will be like that. Be like Isaiah. Be a spiritual giant who will stand up for your belief and not be afraid of being an of, of not being afraid of being example of what the Bible tells us to be. And so in conclusion today, I'd like to mind of an old Viking proverb that I heard. On this old Viking proverb, a proverb, it kind of sums up everything we talked about today. This proverb kind of goes like this. If you don't live for something, then you die for nothing. This was Isaiah's theme, and this should be ours. If you don't live for something, then you die for nothing. I'm going to pray, and if you want to make this decision, please pray along with me. Thank you, Father, for being here. Father, I know I have failed over and over and over again, and I've been selfish. Father, please forgive me for this and enter into my heart. Please give me the confidence of Isaiah. Please help me to be willing to stand up for you no matter what the outcome. Father, as I go out into this world this week, please help me to know with confidence that someday I will be with you in your final resting place of glory. Thank you, Father. Amen. If there is anyone watching this that said this prayer or who wants to have the faith and confidence of Isaiah, please contact us and one of us will get back to you.
I personally would love to take this walk with you.